When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, this is Kevin. On today's episode of Risk, you'll hear Andrea Allen. No lube, no finger, just straight up, bam, bam, bam. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) But before that, I want to let you know that Risk is brought to you in part by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform that makes building your own website simple and easy. And let me tell you something. Have you ever seen websites created by Squarespace? They have beautiful templates. They have integration with Google Apps and Getty Images and very responsive design. For a free trial and 10% off your first order, go to squarespace.com and enter the code RISK. Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. Today's show is also brought to you in part by Harry's. Do yourself a favor and visit harrys.com and use the promo code RISK to save $5 off your first purchase. Harry's makes the highest quality, highest performing German shaving blades crafted by shaving experts. I'm telling you, I use them and I am baby smooth when I use them. This is about half the price of the other big brands that you're going to find at the drugstore. They ship to you for free right to your front doorstep. The starter set is an amazing deal. For $15, you get a razor, this gorgeous, beautiful moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades. You could be paying $32 for an eight-pack of blades, but you're going to be paying half the price at Harry's. I sincerely recommend it. It's a great deal. Go to harrys.com now, and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in our coupon code R-I-S-K with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. The coupon code is RISK. At the checkout, you get $5 off, and you can start shaving beautifully and much better today. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is, well, the song is called Atomic Bomb. It's William Onyabor versus Hot Chip. Behind me now, calling today's episode Cripes. All three of these stories are just cripes-tastic, and it's a pretty archetypical example of how a Risk episode could go from one emotional plane to another quite dramatically, like life itself. Just the kind of high-stakes storytelling we are planning on featuring at our upcoming Portland show, Portland, Oregon. We will be in your town on March 29th, so send us your pitches. The theme that night is crisis. So get your pitches in to the submissions page at risk-show.com by March 1st. Get on that. In just a bit, we're going to hear from Steve Bellinger. He's a writer, podcaster, performer. Uh, You should hear his podcast called The Gamut. I've been on it. Great show. But before that, we're going to go to the Risk Live show in New York City to hear Andrea Allen a frequent contributor to College Candy's Ask a Slut column. (laughs) And here she is now with a story we call Bombs Away.
So uh, I've been in New York City for uh, about eight years now. And um, around year seven, I uh, gave up on love, essentially. I dated like every psychopath, musician, painter, artist, whatever the fuck New York had to offer. And I was like, you know what? I'm fucking done. Uh, human love, I don't need it. I don't, who fucking needs it? I don't need it. Um, and it felt great, except for I started to get really fucking horny under, like week two, I was like, ah, I still gotta fuck though. So I gotta figure that out. Um, so luckily, Tinder had become available, and I was like, yes, this is the best. Uh, so it's a Friday night, and I'm sitting alone in my apartment, uh, sober, just swiping like a maniac, being like, I gotta find something! Because um, I'm so horny, and, um, and I don't know if you ladies have seen what Tinder has to offer, but it's a lot of fucking weird dick pictures. And guys with sunglasses, it's just like, it's, it's tough. It's a tough selection. Um, but I finally, I swipe my way to this gothy dude. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm kind of into gothy people. It's my jams. And so uh, I see this gothy guy. His name is Chris. He's uh, six foot five. This is his Tinder description. Into s and I'm like, okay, interesting. And he's got lots of pictures. He's got like the leather wristband and like, you know, the edgy like side shaven haircut. I'm like, all right, I can fucking do this. So I swipe right. It's a match. I'm like, nailed it. So I start talking to him and he's out drinking and I'm laying my best like, oh, come on over, Tinder moves. I don't know what those are, but just like, you down to fuck, bro, basically. Um... So he's out drinking, and I'm talking to him. I get his number. I send him a picture of my ass. I'm like, let's do this. So finally, he's like, I'm going to come over after I'm done at this bar. I'm like, okay, great. And he's out drinking, and I'm like, I'm hosting a gentleman. I should, uh, you know, get him some food or something. I don't know. I thought that would be cool somehow. Uh, so I go on Grubhub. And I live in Brooklyn, so there's like one good thing. And I order two burritos and a coffee for myself. Because I'm very tired. Um, but I need to fuck, so this is happening. So I, I order my food. It comes. I like lay it out. And, uh, and, and he's, he's coming. So, so he shows up. I open the door. It's like, Yes! Exactly what he said. He's super tall. He's kind of awkward. He's like got like the emo kind of foot thing. But like, it's, I'm like, yeah, nailed it. Yes. Uh, so I'm like, I don't know if you guys have ever just met someone and they're like, come over and fuck me. But the conversation is a little strained because you know nothing about them. So it's like, come on in. I got like a burrito here for you if you want it. And, uh,. And we're talking, he's drunk, very drunk. Um, and he's telling me about his life. He's like, I grew up in Denver. I ran away from home. I started a punk band. And then a friend of mine killed someone. So then I went to London and then I got married. I was a bike messenger. I used to kill neo-Nazis and now I'm a filmmaker. And I'm like, I let a crazy person into my house and he's eating a burrito and I've agreed to have sex with him. And what the fuck, oh my God, okay. Okay, okay, okay. But. Um, but I'm kind of into it though because I'm fucking crazy so like let's party right so we finish our Mexican dinner and then uh, we take it to the boudoir which is actually just like a foot away from the kitchen because I live in a studio so we make that weird transition from like eating to fucking you know and it's just like oh now we're going to be sexy um, and immediately like He's into S&M, and it's very clearly expressed because he is throwing me against shit. I'm breaking lamps with my foot. He's choking me out. I'm like, I kind of like that, but you might kill me. Oh, my God. And I'm like, this is crazy awesome. Because, um, like, whatever. I'm down the fuck. But in the middle of it, he just, like, flips me over. He's a lot taller than me. And he just starts jackhammer fucking me in the ass. Like... No lube, no finger, just straight up, bam, bam, bam. And I'm like, what the fuck, man? And I start to get this feeling in my stomach. Oh, you guys know where this is going, right? And I'm like, that burrito is really not sitting 
well. And I'm like, I don't know if you've had anal sex with strangers before, but some, you're like, I feel like I'm gonna shit maybe, but like I probably won't, right? Like I probably won't. But once you start shitting, by the way, it doesn't just like end quickly. I am shitting on this guy in like 60 seconds flat. It is flying around the room like some sort of exorcism. I'm like, ah, shit everywhere. It's on his hands, it's on the walls. He's like slipping on it. He pulls the condom off. It looks like fucking chocolate is just melted all over it. And I'm like, oh my God. And he's just like, okay. And we're just both like staring at each other like, what the fuck do we do now? Um, and so he very calmly is like, maybe we take a shower? And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's, that sounds good. Let's get the shit off ourselves. That's the next step in this equation. So we're showering together. And he's like, let's get it off here. It's on my back. What is it doing on my feet? And we clean up and, uh, and I change the sheets. Um, I'm a host. I'm still gonna like let him stay over, right? I wouldn't kick him out. I just shit on him, you know? I gotta be hospitable. Uh, so he is, he's passed out. He's also still drunk, so he passes out. And I'm laying next to him like, oh my God. And I'm like, I still could shit for like six hours straight. Like this is, I feel like my intestines have suffered a lot of damage and I can't just play this off. Like I gotta go to the bathroom but I'm still embarrassed about the idea of him hearing me shitting, <laughs> even though I just like shit all over him. Um, so, so I turn the shower on. I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna take another shower in the middle of the night for no fucking reason. <laughs> even though you're asleep, but I'm doing this for myself because I'm a fucking lunatic. So I have the shower go, all the faucets are going and I'm shitting, but it's like, it's like a shotgun type shit. It's just like, it's coming out so loudly and fast and I can't control it. So I, I, I wanna muffle the sound and I heard, a friend of mine told me, <laughs> she's like, if you're ever you know, away for the weekend with your boyfriend, I'm like, <laughs> no, but okay. She's like, you, if you're shitting, you take toilet paper and you muffle it up and you press it against your asshole. Like when someone's playing trumpet, you know that like thing that they use to cover? You use a similar technique, but with your asshole. So it muffles the sound, right? It stops the air pressure from making a sound. So, so I'm like, I'm doing that. I'm wadding toilet paper, but the shit's coming out so quickly that I'm just shit, it's going over on my hand. So I'm just shitting on my own hand and like letting it drop and then putting my hand in the sink and then shitting in my own hand. And it was like, it was honestly like two and a half, three hours. It was like Hellraiser. I was like, I'm gonna be doing this forever. Like permanent damage has been done. I can't shit now without like my own hand there for safety. Like this is numb. Um, so finally, I think I shit everything I ate for like last six months. It was just like clear fluid. And I was like, I'll put a diaper on and I'll go. I'll go lay down next to my new boyfriend. Um, and so I'm like laying next to him and the sun is rising and he kind of wakes up and he's like, hey you. And I'm like, okay. Uh, um, and, uh, and then we start talking and I'm like, oh, you're actually kind of a cool guy. And then a couple hours pass, we're like falling asleep, waking up, and then he's eventually is like, do you wanna go get brunch? And I was like, yeah, I kind of fucking do. Since we just got so close as people, we just formed a friendship so deep. Like we're blood brothers, shit bro, I don't know. Like it's real between the two of us. So we go and we get brunch. And we're like talking about serial killers and all this weird shit. I'm a weirdo, he's a weirdo. I'm having a fruit cup and like a glass of water because I, you know, need a little time. Um, and he gets like a full English breakfast. He's really loving life. And then at the end of this, I'm like, you know what? I kind of dig you. And he's like, I kind of dig you. And uh, we ended up dating for like six months after that. <laughs> It was like, when you're looking for love, it won't come for you, but boy meets girl, girl shits all over boy. 
they form a deep bond and they date for like six shitty months. So you know what? It was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. It made me believe in love again. Um, thank you very much. I'm Andrew Allen. I'm so horny. I gotta find something. You down to fuck, bro? Let's do this. Bam, bam, bam. Nailed it. Yes, this is the best. I got like a burrito here for you. If you want it. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I have two young sons, Matt, who's seven and a half, Brian is four and a half. Trust me, those halves are very important to them. They are really amazing kids and they make my life wonderful. But I'm almost 50. I am not a young man anymore. There's, There's a reason that people have kids when they're young. It's because you have a lot more energy. My wife and I were married 10 years before we decided to start our family. Our lives were kind of set, but we dove in because we really wanted to have kids. Things started not great for us, kind of tragically, because we lost the first one early in her first pregnancy. We were lucky enough to, we kept plugging away, and we got two wonderful boys out of it. I said before, I'm a stay-at-home dad. I'm actually a stay-at-home, work-from-home dad. Uh, because I just do everything out of the house. I'm a freelance writer. I host a podcast. I perform in the city. I do all sorts of crap. I did pretty good for a while, but for the first few years after starting the family, it was a total joke. I mean, kids need a ton of attention, and when you're not giving them attention, it's just all you want to do is sleep and cry and eat and go back to sleep. But last year, things took a little turn. My, My oldest started second grade. My youngest, we had in a preschool three days a week. And he was there from like nine in the morning till 3.30, three days a week. The other kids in school, for the first time in almost a decade, I had some time to myself. I was able to start going on auditions again. I was writing. I could actually turn on my stereo, which I hadn't touched in like six years. Now I could actually turn it on and crank it up loud, get stuff done. It was starting to feel pretty good. It was (laughs) so good that the end of the days, those days where I had the house to myself, Around 3 o'clock when it was time to go pick up my boys, I had to go back to taking care of these two precious parts of my life, but still energy-sucking and soul-devouring at the same time. Last spring, I was sitting here. I'd spent all day writing a new uh, project I was working on. It was one of those magical days where stuff just flows out of you. It was going so well that the day just flew by. And I looked up, it's like 2.30. I had to take a shower and just get ready to go get the boys. My day was coming to an end. I remember just sitting there trying to get the energy to put down the computer, go upstairs and take a shower. When the phone rang, which it was my house phone, which never really rings. All of my work calls come in over my cell. So I scoop up the phone and the female voice on the other end said, Mr. Belanger, please come quick. Brian's having a seizure. What? I couldn't even comprehend it. Brian is my three-year-old, and just a few hours ago, he was fine. The only thing wrong with him at the time was he kept shooting me with his goddamn Buzz Lightyear laser, no matter how many times I told him to put his jacket on. He was fine. A seizure. What does that even mean? I told her I was on my way and threw the phone down, grabbed my keys, I ran out the door. Everything just went into, like, super slow motion, like some weird panic mode. Every second lasted forever. His school was only a mile away. Usually in the mornings, it takes a few minutes to get there because of lights and traffic. But not today. My boy needed me. The first quarter mile, I just weaved in and out of traffic and went through my first red light in decades. Then I realized I got to call my wife. But I don't even know what to say. I I figured, let me just get there. Let me find out what the hell is going on, and, and then I'll call her once I knew. I hit another red light. I barely slow down this time, just to make sure nothing's coming, and I just barrel right through. I'm about halfway there, and I, I'm, I'm just in total panic mode now. 
A seizure? What's wrong with him? Is my little boy going to be okay? These, uh, these thoughts just come easily. Because it's actually uh, been my biggest fear the whole time I've been a father. It's like a crippling obsession at time that has sent me into panic attacks and endless nights of no sleep. I fear that I'm going to lose one of my boys. We had already lost two young souls in our family way before their time. My nephew died in a car accident when he was in his early 20s. My best friend's son died in his sleep at the age of 15. Two huge losses just and constant reminders of how life is fleeting and just always in the back of my head that it could happen to me. It could happen to us. Now I can't help thinking that after all these years my fears are finally coming true. Finally I catch the last green light. I'm, in the, I'm almost there. I, I, my tears are screaming down my face. I'm banging on the steering wheel and I, I scream out to no one. I'm just, I'm coming, Brian. Daddy's coming. Just echoed throughout the minivan. And for some reason it hits me in that moment. Another feeling that uh, I've kept buried down pretty deep. You know how parents aren't supposed to have favorite children? Well, I did. And Brian wasn't it. That guilt hit me almost as hard as the feelings of fear. How could I even be thinking like this? How could I do this to this sweet, innocent kid? Even now, just talking about it, I feel like a monster. Like, what kind of parent are you? What, I'm admitting to myself that this wasn't my favorite. Who does that? Am I the worst father in the world? I know that even my self-rationalization sounds like total bullshit. But here it is. When a firstborn comes along, that's it. That's all you have to worry about. It's a shitload of work, but that, your whole life revolves around that baby. Everything is so new. You're learning on the fly. God, you, you worry about every little thing. And our Matt, God, that poor guy, he had a few health problems early on. Nothing bad, just some stomach allergies. He had some weird stuff going on, which meant he never slept more than like an hour at a time for the first four months of his life, which meant that me and my wife were just always tired and constantly worried about him. After the four-month mark, he started sleeping through the night. Things got better. And he got older. It's amazing what happens when they turn two years old. He went from being this little bag of flesh that eats and shits to becoming like this little person. Some people love that baby stage. All they want is babies. Holy crap. I found it to be absolutely punishing. It's all work. No reward. Yes, it was cute to hold the little guy, but the rest of it is just crazy hard. After he turned two, he was just like a great little human. A new little buddy that I could hang out with every day, talk to, play with, truly enjoy. Holy crap. <laughs> he was so much fun. Things were going so great with Matt that we decided to have another one. Well, That was always part of the plan. We wanted to have two kids. By that time, enough time had passed that you actually forget how hard the early stage is. And you go, oh, of course, this would be a great time for another kid. So along came Brian. And we were blessed. He had none of the concerns Matthew had. He was an easy baby. But still, he's a baby. <laughs> they are a ton of work. And unlike before, when I only had like this little infant to worry about, now I had a little infant and an active toddler to chase around. The second kid doesn't just double the workload like I thought. It just grows it exponentially. So yeah, maybe I'm a monster, but how could my firstborn not be my favorite? At that point, it's not even a level playing field. Who am I supposed to pick? The little one who needs to be cared for nonstop all day long? Or my little buddy who sits there and watches baseball and bugs Bunny with me and, and thinks I'm like the greatest dad ever in the whole entire goddamn world? No contest. I guess I could have been forgiven my favoritism in those early years, but now, as I'm speeding along, I'm realizing that they had lingered. 
Now, regardless of what you're thinking, I am a pretty good father. But I felt horrible that those thoughts were still in there. Especially now that my little guy was in trouble. Now, God, I'm just a fucking monster. I pull into the parking lot, I jump out of the car, I run inside, and as I'm walking in, I'm like, you know what? He's probably fine. The women at the preschool, they're so great. They've been working with kids for years. They've probably seen this type of thing dozens of times. I'm going to walk in there. They're all going to smile and reassure me. That's not what happens. Instead, the first woman I see is in tears. All of these nice ladies who are always just so happy and up all the time and dealing with all these kids have just the most serious looks on their faces, like something dire has happened. This giant room that I come to three times a week to drop him off, separated into these three great classrooms, chock full of toys. It's always filled with kids and joy and laughter and screaming. But now, it's eerily silent. All the kids are stone silent and they've all been moved to a far corner of the building. They're lying on the floor in the middle of their little play carpet. It's my baby boy. I run to him. I drop down. I cradle him in my arms. God, this is not the chatty, active kid. He wouldn't put his coat on a few hours ago, and now he's a crumpled ball. When I grab him, his eyes flicker open just a little bit, and he sees me, but... Nothing. He doesn't recognize me. His eyelids just close again. I just pull him tight. I don't, I don't even know what the hell to do. Before they called me, the preschool, thank God, called 911. And, and luckily, right after I got there, a paramedic comes in. As soon as I saw him, the weird slow motion haze that I'd been going through just disappeared. Everything just jumped into fucking light speed. He started asking me basic information, name, son's name, simple stuff like that, but it was too much. My brain uh, couldn't handle it. I just I just looked at him and I want to scream, just fix him. They were talking to one of the teachers and I was trying so hard to concentrate on what she was saying because she was explaining what happened. She said Brian was just sitting at a table playing like everybody else does and she looked over and She sensed something was off. She thought he was just trying to make a funny face. But a second later, he had just slumped off his chair, collapsed to the floor, and started having a seizure. By the time they all got over there, he was just completely passed out. (laughs) The paramedic explained that we were going to the hospital, and so I carry him to the ambulance, and I lay on the gurney with Brian in my arms. For that brief minute, just getting into an ambulance and having this medical professional in charge, it gave me a little bit, a sense of relief. Dominic, that's, that's his name, he introduced himself to me and I'll, I'll never forget. Before the ambulance even started moving, Dominic is examining Brian in my arms and he's trying to calm me down at the same time. He keeps saying, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. But I know, I'm smart enough, I know in the back of my head, that's what they tell everybody. I'm holding my little baby boy completely motionless in my arms. He, he takes Brian's temperature. And I don't know, that made me just realize for the first time, the whole time I've been holding him, that the little guy is burning up. I can feel the heat emanating off of him through his clothes, through my clothes. I asked Dominic, what's his temperature? There's a, there's a hiccup of... That calm is gone for a second. He won't tell me what the temperature is. He's got a whole new sense of urgency in his actions. We were already speeding along, but as soon as he said whatever he said to the driver, I could hear the engine just roar to life as we took off even faster down the road. Then he started blasting the horn. Just the whole thing was surreal. I just sat there kissing the top of Brian's head, my lips burning with the heat coming off his little forehead. I had... I didn't know what to do. I'm staring at the back of the ambulance. As we were speeding along, I just see the cars just 
drifting off to the lanes on either side of us as we go careening through. I can see the looks on the individual drivers' faces. They're all annoyed. They're all fucking annoyed by this traffic and the added nuisance of this ambulance with this blaring sirens. I've been in Long Island for 15 years. I've been that guy on the highway thousands of times over the years as the ambulance flew past me. I never really thought about what was going on inside. The last few minutes just had this eerie calm. Dominic, again, was just trying to assure me that everything was going to be all right. They rush us into the ER, and for the first time since I saw him, they take Brian out of my arms, and the doctors swarm around him and start doing what they do. I just stood there helplessly, staring. At some point, I realized it was somebody talking to me. I look, a young woman is standing there asking me questions, filling out admitting forms and some clipboard. Name, address, insurance. I, I don't know what the hell she's saying. I just want to give her my wallet, my insurance card, everything in my pocket. I just want to make her go away. I want to know what the hell is wrong with my son. Somehow, I, I get through all that silly paperwork, and they bring us to a smaller room. There on the gurney is my little Brian. He's hooked up to electrodes and monitors all the usual medical gadgetry. Just goddamn heartbreaking. A doctor was explaining to me that they still didn't know what was wrong, but he had a temperature of 106. The first thing they had to do was get that fever down. So they gave him meds and said it would take a little while to take effect, and they leave me in there alone with him. I sit by his side. I stroke his hair. Just, God, it seems like it takes forever. And finally, finally, he started moving a little bit. He turns his head, and he looked at me. This time, he really saw me. He didn't, he didn't smile or anything, but I could just tell from his eyes. His, his spark was back. A wave of relief washed over me. I looked at the clock for the first time, trying to make sense of it. Barely 15 minutes had passed by since that original phone call. It felt like days. I felt like I had aged years. I hold him close and tell him everything is going to be okay, and I really mean it. The doctor comes back in, and indeed, his fever was going down. And it keeps going down. The meds are working. By the time my wife arrives, it's down to 100, and he's looking and acting much more like himself. The doctors explain that he had uh, what's called a febrile seizure. He picked up some type of virus in his body, and trying to fight it off had caused a massive spike in his temperature causing the seizure and then the passing out. Half the kids who have them once, he said, are at risk of having them again over the next couple years. But the other half may never have them again. This was a year ago. He has been, I'm happy to say, a very happy and healthy little boy ever since. I, on the other hand, never really forgot those horrible feelings that came up about him not being my favorite. But... You know what? Now that he's a little older and easier to take care of, I've realized things have changed. You know, I can manage the two of them together again. My life is not in as much turmoil trying to take care of a toddler and an infant and all that craziness. They're both, you know, kind of in the same ballpark. Two little people that I like hanging out with. I definitely still have a favorite, but which one it is is constantly changing. I enjoy doing some things more with one than I do with the other. There are some things that are challenging with one and a delight with the other. It's crazy, but as I look deep down into the dark, dreary recesses of my mind, something that I highly recommend all of you guys do regularly just to take inventory of what's down there, I can honestly say I no longer have a favorite. They are both a true blessing in my life, and I constantly remind myself to cherish every day
This is Risk. This is Future Islands behind me now. And we just heard a lovely story from Steve Bellinger. Be sure to look him up at stevebellinger.com. Well, now it's getting to be about Valentine's Day. And this Valentine's Day, you can make it one that you will both never forget with this amazing offer from adamandeve.com. Through Valentine's Day, you receive 50% off just about any item. Just go to adamandeve.com and you'll find over 18,000 adult entertainment products, toys, lingerie, DVDs, and there's more. With every order, you'll receive the Adam and Eve Romance Kit for free. It includes a toy for him, a massager for her, and a little surprise, plus a free adult DVD to put you in the mood. And that's not all. They'll also throw in free shipping for the entire order. It's a hell of a deal. So go to adamandeve.com today for the special Valentine's Day offer. Get 50% off one item, a free romance kit, free shipping when you enter the offer code R-I-S-K, that's risk, at adamandeve.com. Our last story today comes from the remarkable Rye Silverman. Rye is a writer, comedian, and gender rebel. In Los Angeles, you can find Rye's blog. It's called chicklikemeblog.tumblr.com. Very colorful examination of queer identity in pop culture. Here she is now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles that we do every fourth Thursday at the Nerdist showroom there. It's Rye Silverman with a story we call Hitting Back. People take My story is not about the way that I'm dressed. It's actually a very short story. I'm just transgender. That's all there is to that. But I bring that up uh, as a point of fact because one thing I think people don't understand about trans people, and not even in L.A. where you think you guys would have figured it out by now, (laughs) is that just because we're weird, you're not allowed to hit us. And uh, that's a thing that I found out this past year is actually still a rule not everybody has gotten to yet. Uh, here's the thing. So me being me, even in L.A., which pretends to be liberal, um, <laughs> like people still yell stuff at me all the time. I've been shouted at uh, all the time. People usually do it from like a very brave like position, which is like in a car at a stoplight. <laughs> it's a really popular choice for yelling out slurs and stuff and fake laughter. Like there's a lot of people who like actually will just shout like ha ha. Like they don't actually even laugh, but they're that's a thing. <laughs> It happens a lot. Like it'll be like like a Nelson Muntz level of like ha ha, which is like such a weird thing to be a human being and be like, well, I don't actually have laughter as a response, but I feel like I'm supposed to find this funny, so I'm gonna make sure they know that I think they're hysterical and they shouldn't exist. Um, so this story happened last summer on Gay Pride Weekend. I was actually going to Dyke Day in Los Feliz. I live in Studio City, and everyone was like, oh, parking sucks. You can't get any spots anywhere in Los Feliz. So I'm like, well, I don't like to take the subway uh, because being stuck in an enclosed space with those people, not the best call in the world. But I'm like, ah, it's fine. It's probably weekend. Who cares? I'll go. I, I got to live my life, you know? So I go, and I even like tweeted, and I never do this. I never like try to call attention to the violence or something like that, like if I don't have to. So... I'm going to the subway station and I tweet like, well, if I don't make it back, I was going to Los Feliz. Like it's something like that. Like it's, I don't remember, I didn't look up my own tweets because I don't have that kind of free time. But um, I have a lot of tweets. Most of them about Doctor Who. So I don't have time to go through all of them and be like, oh, that's the one. But it was just a weirdly prophetic tweet because I was coming into the subway station and I'm coming down the steps and I hear a voice from behind me on the escalator in like this gruff, angry tone just go, why the fuck are you wearing a skirt? And uh, I, I didn't even turn to look because, like, like I said, I get yelled at all the time. I've learned just kind of to block it out. And I didn't think there was going to be anything productive in responding to that. Like, I didn't think if I stopped and was like, well, you know, it's a hot day out at summer in L.A. And 
I like the houndstooth print. It goes with my boots. Like, I don't think... I don't think he's going to go, oh, well, more power to you. I just wondered. I was surprised to see a skirt because you're tools of the patriarchy. Like, I didn't think he was going to be that. Like, you know. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to go get into the crowd of people and then I'll figure I'll be safe. And the mistake that I made was I shouldn't, because I, like I said, people usually yell stuff. Once they've yelled, if I ignore them, it goes away. Uh, but this guy decided that he needed to like make sure that I heard him, I guess. And he came up and he actually, right in the crowd of people, who, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it several times during this whole story, did nothing. I am in the subway station with a lot of people around and nothing ever happens from anybody. So he comes up and he grabs me by the shoulder and then he like comes around and gets in my face and like it's like spitting on me as he talks and he's like, skirts are for ladies. Like, I don't know what he, like am I supposed to be like, oh my God, what? <laughs> like, oh my God, nobody, my friends are assholes. I can't believe... <laughs> what he thought like that's the weirdest thing to say like it's just such a like uh, it's like a cartoon cliche of like what a bigot would like shout in your face you know so then he like my immediate I get that like real quick self-defense move of like I grab him so like I get him kind of close to me so that he can't like get like distance to swing or anything like that and what happens is that's what I thought was going to happen was he was going to keep hitting me. But what he thought was going to happen was he was going to walk away. Uh, but the problem is somebody is holding on to his wife. Because of course he's wearing a wife beater. Of course he is. Um, he's wearing like an over shirt and he has like an unbuttoned shirt with like a wife beater like gray tank that I'm holding on to. This is the kind of guy I like to describe this guy. He like he has like someone like a, like, like a, like a bit of a faux hawk but like poofy. Um, I'll get to this later. Yeah, exactly. Um, he also assaulted me. I think we could also get to that kind of person. Uh, I'll get to it later. I've been to his Facebook, and I will explain that a little bit later. Uh, but to give you an idea of what he looks like, he's the kind of person who on his Facebook has like professionally shot photos of him working out, but not even like a... Not even like at a gym. It's like he's in front of a truck with the exact same outfit that I ripped off of him that day in the subway station, but like doing like like chin ups over like a. That's what he has on his Facebook page. I'll get to that in a second. So he grabs me, and I mean I'm sorry. He grabs me, gets my face. I grab him. He goes, and then I stay where I'm at, and so does his shirt. So now I'm standing next to like a guy in a toga, like with like my claw mark because I was like grabbing him and I scratched him. That's when the punching starts. And the thing is, so like I've mentioned before, like people yell at me all the time. This is only the first time that it's actually become violent, uh, but I've had times where it's gotten close. Like I had a time where I was walking to the Grove and somebody was driving by and they stopped at the light. They're like at Fairfax where it like meets whatever road that is in front of the Grove by the bank. Anyway, that doesn't matter. People listening to the podcast aren't in LA. So why am I explaining traffic <laughs> signals? They're like, no, let's pull up Google Maps and figure out exactly where she was. <laughs> wrong with me <laughs> like what's the grove what are you talking about uh, I'm walking and so I hear this guy yell from this car he just goes what the fuck uh, which I guess I'm supposed to answer like I'm supposed to be like well, I'm supposed to let him know what the fuck is like I don't know but again happens all the time like whatever I'll let it go and then he yells it again and again and then I'm like, I, I don't, like, I start freaking out. That, that's like, that's where I'm mesmerized by like this. I don't know what to do. And then he gets out of the car. He's, he's in the passenger seat. So I was coming towards me. But the shoes that I had on, fight or flight, neither one was a good option. <laughs> like I had, it was, it was, it was like about four years ago when like espadrilles were big and they had like the, the, like the tie up kind. They were hot, but I couldn't, like the only thing I could do is like maybe get the straps off and nunchuck him. That's the only thing. <laughs> but like, like, do I have time? But like I was terrified. Like I'm joking about it now, but at the moment I was like I was so freaked out. And then the light changed and then he got in the car and drove away and then I went over to like the, my, I was meeting my friends at a bar and I got there and my hands were shaking and I'm like I don't I can't believe what just happened. This guy almost jumped me. So for like the 2 years after that, I had this thing in my head like what would I have done? What would have happened if he had gotten to me? And what I learned last summer in North Hollywood at the train station is that what happens is I hit back. <laughs> And then I don't stop. <laughs> like, um, because, like, 
everybody, anybody who is like a, like the target of any sort of violence, whether it's like misogyny or racism, or whatever. I think you always have a thing where when it finally happens to you, it's not even like oh my god, this is actually happening. It's more like, more like oh, this is when it happens. Like this is when, and that's the moment when he hit me. My thought wasn't, oh my God, someone's actually attacking me. It was, so this is when I get assaulted for being weird. Like, that's like my, this is when I get my hate crime. Like I checked it off my bingo list or whatever. So, and then I actually even, it's funny, in the moment when, uh, when it shifted and I started chasing him across the subway station, um, I actually found myself say, it's Pride Weekend. <laughs> Like, I'm still trying to convince him of the folly of his ways. Like, I'm going to convince him. Like, he was going to go, oh, my God, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. Can we meet back next week when it's not your day? I'm so sorry. And, like, I'm just like, I'm just like what? I didn't do anything. Like, I don't remember exactly what happens. I know there's a lot of hitting. And then, like, I'm chasing him. And then we get to, like, a standstill. I've dropped my purse. And I'm done at this point. I'm like, all right, I fought you off, whatever. And then he's like, starts to try to taunt me. Because like, I think he's, like, embarrassed that, like, I didn't just let him do what he's going to do. And so then he, he looks me in the face. And he actually says to me, well, you're acting like a man right now. Like, that's, like, what? Like, that's what your worldview is? Like, what How? What else is not wrong about you? Like, what is not, like, just, are you a broken human being? And he even said, you started it, to me. He goes, I swear to God, he goes, you started it. I'm like, you grabbed me in a public place. You don't get to do that anymore. It's not a thing. Like, what, what's happening now is I've dropped my purse, and I'm going to pick up my purse, and then he's like, firing off warning shots, you know, like, don't get closer to me. And I'm like, get the fuck away from me. And then, like I said, I mentioned earlier, a subway station full of people who have done nothing thus far. The person who does break up the fight is a teenage kid who comes down the escalator, and I can only describe him as if Boy George had a bastard Asian child. <laughs> because the kid is Asian, but he has that exact, like, like mid-80s long hair, bowler hat, like long jacket, in ch and we know how hot it is in here in June. It's still wearing the long jacket, committed to it. Uh, which I guess I shouldn't judge affectation for clothing, but still. Um, <laughs> he like comes down, and like the, I'm going, get the fuck away from me, and the kid who had not seen the fight, all he sees is, is dude in the torn toga wife beater shirt, like trans girl like going like, like get away from me, and he's like, get the fuck away. Like what is wrong with you? Like why are you, so then he does that, and then the fight kind of gets broken up, and that's when a Metro station worker like chimes in, like hey, you boys done, yes what he does, you boys done fighting. So even when I'm being hate crimed, I still can't get gendered properly in LA, that's fine. Um, <laughs> And then also, that's when I realized I, I, my one wound of the whole fight was, like, I, he's had a scratch across his chest from me. I lost an earring, which has never happened before. And I'm like, like could, this be, could this be more of a cliche thing right now of being like, like, I lost an earring in a fight. Are you kidding me right now? So that all happened. And then, like, I had to compose myself. I'm not going to go home. He's not going to win. He's not going to have my day. Uh, but the thing is, they didn't call the cops or anything. They just, like, made him wait made me wait while he like went got on the train or whatever like are you okay and then I went down there he's waiting for the same train that I'm waiting for so I have to get on the same train as the guy who just tried to attack me a different car I'm not stupid but like I I got my car and I went to my thing and then like I I'm sitting on the train I'm literally writing a blog entry about it because that's not who I am on my phone I'm like writing it all down or whatever and then I get off the train I post that I call my dad I'm walking to Dyke Day and I have to call my dad and be like hey you know the thing you've been terrified of ever since I came out to you uh, what happened today how are you doing like that's the conversation I have to have with my dad now about like hey all the fears are real and I don't have to tell you anymore so that is the thing that happened and then I posted that blog entry the next day Somebody messages me on Facebook and is like, hey, I read your blog entry. Uh, you need to watch this funnier die video and go to about a minute 15 in. I think that's the guy who attacked you. And I go, what are you talking about? How would you? And then I, I look at this video. After the guy attacked me in the subway, he left the subway went to actual pride in West Hollywood and was walking around with his like ripped shirt like it was because when I saw him in the subway at the bottom he had like buttoned up his like buttoned up shirt over the wife beater but now he's walking around in the sun with sunglasses on aviator shades and this ripped shirt and these people were doing a video of like talking to weird people at West Hollywood or like drunk people at pride or whatever and then suddenly like this 
freaking golden whale walks up and they're like, hey, why is your shirt torn? And uh, I'm going to use the language he used, which is a horrible word, but I'm going to use it anyway. He goes, oh, I got in a fight with a tranny in the subway. Like, and then like he's bragging about how he won the fight, which I'm like, no one won the fight. We were broken up by Culture Club. What are you talking about? <laughs> but like, he's there. And then like, they don't, these people who made the video don't know me. They don't know what happened. I still think maybe you could have called the cops when someone on your video tells you that they attacked a person, but let's, whatever. It's over now. So, but anyway, in the video, he reveals that he had a mission. Like, he came to LA for the purpose of starting shit at Pride. He's like literally talking, he has like all these statistics about how, how bad AIDS is and how like he's gonna stop it <laughs> by going to Pride and starting fist fights. Like I don't know what like his, like he literally says, I'm gonna assert social dominance and I'm gonna get the women out of here. That's an exact quote from him on the, I'm going to exert social dominance and get, he thinks that the Pride Festival is a douchey frat party. <laughs> where he can like flex his muscles and then the chicks will go, oh, we're gonna go with him. First of all, do you understand that you are at a gay pride parade? So you're not gonna get the women out of there by pissing off the dudes. Like that's not, and let's be fair, the women at the gay pride parade much more likely to kick your ass than any of the dudes there. So then like all that happens, he's like whatever, and then like that's the end of that, and then the guys who made the video, I like, got in touch with them, they got his name from the video where they filmed him saying, hey, is it cool if we film you saying all this? He's like, yeah, no problem. Like totally, like not even aware of it, uh, which apparently he was right to do so because the cops did nothing about it. Anyway, I literally had a taped confession from the guy who attacked me that I took to the police station that night, and they have yet to arrest him. It was last summer, but anyway, whatever. I don't know what to do about it. I talked to everybody I can talk to, and nothing's happened from it. That's just how America works, I guess. Uh, for a few months, I was following this guy on Facebook. Like, I didn't add him as a friend. That'd be weird as hell to do that. <laughs> but I had the address, and it was, like, public. So I would just, like, look at it, like, every few days or weeks. Like, maybe because I also had some mental stuff I wasn't going to talk to anybody about. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep looking at this guy. And I wanted to see if they eventually were going to do something. Like, I wanted to see if there was a post. Like, oh, my God, I got arrested. Something like that. Like, I, I have all these posts that I gave the cops from him talking about going to Pride and, like, the plans that he had to assault people. And also, I went to the cops the day he was still at Pride, and I had said to them, hey, this guy is at Pride right now trying to start stuff. Maybe have an officer look for him, but we're not going to do that. Okay, cool. But I, I'm looking at all this stuff, and then eventually he moved to L.A., and he's, like, trying to be a model. <laughs> then he starts looking for a roommate, in West Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, I did a screenshot of the ad that he posted. Uh, he's like, I'm not getting any hits on this on Craigslist, so I'll just put it here. You guys, I- I'm going to see if you guys listen to his ad. I don't know why he can't get a roommate in West Hollywood with his ad. Um, first of all, uh, the headline uh, that he put was, uh, he says, gay unfriendly roommate. <laughs> Once a room in West Hollywood for $500. Now, most of this post is, and you can see how long it is here. Most of that's one sentence. So we're going to like just, if I seem like I'm saying a lot of things where I'm not pausing, don't blame me. The first thing he says is, I get paid on 809. So not only does he want a $500, he doesn't even have 500 bucks right now to... I get paid on 809 and I want to get a place ASAP hit me up. It's it's seems pretty hard to find straight people in West Hollywood, so figured <laughs> I'll just post for them. It's pretty much my only concern. Never take any heavy drugs, coke, meth, or smack. I'm a womanizer, so I need someone that's all right with me bringing home multiple women to bang left and right. <laughs> If you want to wing and are good at it, sure, tag along. <laughs> or just a hot chick could be a fun time. You can do your thing. I'll do mine. I'm still going to be banging away at chicks. So if you're a woman cock block, you might want to look somewhere else. I old only room with a woman that would just look the other way or jump in. And then at the end, as if like this is his actual career, I play music, act, model, and fight. So that's... <laughs> Now, I know that's funny, but the, le- the next line is, so that's pretty much me in a nutshell. 
so at this point, like, I'm mad that they haven't arrested him, but I also feel like this guy's entire life is his jail. So I'm not, like, like, I, like, it sucks, but I also, like, I fought the guy off, so, like, I can think about that to myself. Like, I know that when this stuff comes together, I'm not going to back down. Like, I've had a couple of moments, like, when you can't never, you can't just be free of it, so I've had a couple of times where, like, suddenly I'm, like, more afraid than I used to be, like, going into strange places by myself, which is probably smart. Probably not as healthy when it ends up with me, like, crying by myself in a car because my friends aren't at the bar yet. But, um, happy birthday. Uh, but, um... <laughs> Uh, the only thing that I wish, my only real regret, because I feel like, you know, me going to the cops, like for me at least, was like, because I was terrified to go to the cops, but I did. And so I feel like I still won that victory, even though the cops are what you think police officers are going to be. I, the only regret that I have is now knowing what kind of person this guy is and knowing how freaked out he would have been by it. I wish that I'd had the presence of mind while we were in the middle of a fight when he was backing away from me in fear. I wish I had just locked eyes with him and I wish I had just said, hey, are you as turned on right now as I am? <laughs> Thank you, guys. for this week's episode folks this is the rural alberta advantage behind me now and don't forget risk is coming to portland march 29th so we need your pitches kids if you live in portland oregon send your pitches to risk-show.com slash submissions the submissions page there uh Sorry, forgot what I was doing. Uh, the, 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 um, the, <laughs> the theme, the theme that night is crisis. I appear to be having one of my own right now. If you have a good crisis story, send it to us, kids. And don't forget, Risk is also in New York and Los Angeles on the 26th of February in New York, we're at the People's Improv Theater, and in Los Angeles, we're at the Nerdist Showroom. That's every fourth Thursday. Come out and see us in New York and L.A. Don't forget, we teach storytelling as well at thestorystudio.org. Not just one-on-one coaching over Skype, not just in-person workshops that you can take in New York and Los Angeles, not just the corporate workshops that we do for staffs of businesses, but there's also the online course that you can take in your own time. So there's so much to find at thestorystudio.org. And Risk is a proud and happy member of the Maximum Fun organization of podcasts, but we're listener-supported. We really do rely mostly on those donations that people make when they go to MaximumFun.org slash donate, where you can become a member or make a one-time donation. Just be sure to earmark it for risk. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I'd say was strong, never made a sound, now that was on the rocks, today we let it out, nothing going wrong, nothing going down. While I dialed, I tried to assume Dom, <clears throat> while I dialed, I tried to assume Dom's comedic dem- <laughs> Dom, <laughs> I tried to take the dick out of my mouth. <coughs> 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 <coughs>